Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. A couple of things. If you've started that you're the fast today and you're feeling a bit like your world is falling apart, it's normal. Oh, don't worry about it, all right? Just give it 12 hours or so and you'll get over it. You just, we don't often realise how much we rely for in, uh, on certain foods and drinks for just comfort and feeling good and it just, you just realise it. So don't panic, don't, don't, you haven't got to um, suddenly um, you know, fold, you'll be fine, just sit it out and then it just, you, get, you get the hang of it. Um, I want to recommend some books, nothing to do with today's sermon, but um, I just wanted to recommend them because I've, I've, well this one I actually haven't read, it's rare that I'll recommend a book I haven't read. You say, how come I haven't read it? See, I could have read it in 10 minutes before I came. But um, so many people in my immediate family have benefited from this, and I'm so confident in the author. That, um, and I think it's such a, per- even the title, so pertinent, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Over a half a million sold. This is a really, really excellent book. Uh, even if you don't like reading too much, you know, look at the size of it, for goodness sake. 40-odd pages, like how big the pages are. Some wonderfully rich truths in here. And if you just know, you know, you just kind of feel you're kind of trapped a bit in cycles around... Yourself, what do people think of me? That whole you're in that kind of loop. This could be a hugely helpful resource. So please do uh, take a note of this: the freedom of self-forgetfulness by Tim Keller. Uh, brilliant, brilliant book. Um, this is the best book I've read in years, and I've read all of it. Called "The Air We Breathe" by Glenn Scrivener. Some of you might have heard of Glenn's brilliant, based down in Eastbourne, a real wordsmith, kind of poet sort of guy. So a brilliant, brilliant writer. Um, and essentially says, how we all came to believe in freedom, kindness, progress, and equality. And what he does is he looks at the values of the secular West and just shows in a masterful way how they're all built on Jesus Christ and then preaches the gospel in every chapter so wonderfully. So if you yourself just feel, I'm, I'm, my faith is under attack. I feel I'm, I'm struggling in terms of confidence in the gospel. This is a superb book for you. If you've got friends, family, colleagues who, who have an interest in the gospel and are asking questions, there's live conversations. This is a brilliant gift to give. Just to be honest, recently I've, just, I've spoken to a friend of mine who was a believer in the last uh, year or so, has deconstructed his faith and is now no longer calling himself a Christian. I just said, Look, I don't know if you're still uh, open to spiritual conversations, but can I recommend this book to you? It's absolutely brilliant, and they're going to read that, which is great. So it, for yourself, for your own soul, to bolster your, just your confidence, seeing things clearly. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Honestly, the best book I've read in years. This book, I am how far through? Um, pretty much about, I'd say, 47%, just under half, something like that. Anyone heard of Dallas Willard? Fantastic author. This book's called Hearing God, Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. One of the wisest, uh, most grounded, and yet most faith building books I've read on hearing God. Phenomenal. Couldn't recommend it more. Always tricky when you've only read half, because you think, oh, what, what he says in the second half. But he's, he's so, so well, he's with the Lord now, but was so well respected as a man who's both had both his feet firmly on the ground, but was such, so, such, had such a close walk with God. And many would look to him as a, as a kind of a spiritual mentor type figure. It's an absolute um, tonic. Um, to read, I, was gonna, I can't find it. I've got some quotes I wanted to read, but I'm 
I've underlined so much I wouldn't know where to find it. But Hearing God by Dallas Will. I just really want to commend some resources to you. I don't know whether they're available on audio book for those of you that, that prefer that. But please do uh, get into um, those if you're wondering what book to read next. They're ones that I would wholeheartedly recommend. Okay, so we are. Um, if, you're, if you're not familiar with us, if you're new here, um, or you weren't around a couple of Sundays ago, we started our series on the I Am Sayings of Jesus. And what, what we did was we started by going back to Exodus, where Moses encounters the Lord in the burning bush, and God reveals himself and reveals his covenant name, reveals this name, the Tetragrammaton, as it's known, or as it's known by, by uh, many uh, conservative Jewish um, um, followers of Judaism, uh, the forbidden name of God, um, Yahweh or Jehovah, which, which is essentially I am who I am. We were looking at that just to lay the foundation. If you didn't hear that, it's probably worth going back, getting that on the podcast, because it's a kind of a foundational sermon for all, these, all, all of these next ones where we're looking at when Jesus himself refers to, refers to himself as the I am. It's obviously a very, very uh, profound Thing. Today's I am saying is a little bit different from the others. You'll find them all in John's gospel and pretty much the other times it's always followed by something. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth and the life. This one's a little bit different. So let's go together to John chapter 8. If you haven't got a Bible with you, then um, the words are going to come up here. We're going to start John chapter 8 verse 31. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter. It's a very volatile conversation. It's, uh, it's a kind of conversation you really wouldn't want to be in. As you walked away from it, your heart would be racing on those sorts of conversations. Um, it's not an easy conversation. John 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will... They answered him, We're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free altogether, you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Here they're pointing to Jesus' questionable parenting. They're pointing to the fact Who's his dad? We heard about Mary, this story, this virgin birth. It's that. So he carried that with him. We weren't born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You're of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. 
But because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Well, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you've got a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never, see, never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you haven't known him. I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we open it up, look at this extraordinary claim. I pray do something new in our hearts in terms of faith in your son, Father. I pray for just a fresh moving of your spirit among us regarding faith in Jesus. Amen. Amen. So there you see, it's, uh, the conversation ends with Jesus asserting his pre-existence. The conversation finishes with Jesus asserting his own pre-existence. And I want to say two things about this, just so that we're... Today's going to be really theological, but hopefully really practical at the same time. Okay, So it's going to be up there, but we're going to bring it down as well, so you can see how it all connects to our lives. Jesus asserts his pre... Have you ever thought about Jesus' sense, own, sense, own self-awareness around his pre-existence? It's a fascinating thing. To think about. I want to say two things on it. Number one, all through the Gospel of John, you find it. So from the very first verse, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. You find it through John the Baptist. What does John the Baptist say? John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus in human terms and came before Jesus in the sense that his ministry paved the way for Jesus. But John the Baptist said, he who comes after me is before me. Why? Because he was before me. Okay, He recognized the pre-existence of Jesus. Jesus himself in his high priestly prayer in John 17, praying to the Father, talks about the glory that he shared with the Father before the earth was created. Jesus had an, an awareness of his own pre-existence with the Father. In the Gospel of John, you find what the theologians call a high Christology. It means that it really does lift up and exalt the, who, G, who Christ is in terms of particularly emphasizing his divinity, that he is God. Which brings me on to the second thing to say about Christ's pre-existence from this passage. Jesus didn't say, before Abraham was, I was. He said, before Abraham was, I am. If he said, before Abraham was, I was, he would still be claiming pre-existence. But that doesn't mean that he's saying he's God or saying that he's eternal. But when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he's saying something very different. He is declaring himself to be the great I am. He's declaring himself to be Yahweh. 
that he existed before his human incarnation as Yahweh. And it's clear that's what he's saying. How do we know that it's clear that he's saying that? The Jews' response. What do they do? Pick up stones to throw at him. Why? He's committed blasphemy in their eyes. So we're going to look at two things today. Number one, is Jesus definitely God? Number two, if he is, so what? Okay, what are the implications of that? Is Jesus God? I wonder how many of you deep down here actually have that as a little question mark in your mind. I wonder how many of you. I wonder how many of you have been tied in knots on the doorstep by Jehovah's Witnesses and have walked back indoors thinking, hmm, I thought Jesus was God, but I have been. I wonder how many of us, there's a niggle, there's a little niggle there. You know the Father's God, but how does it work? And should we be, should we be praying to Jesus, singing to Jesus? I wonder. If you're not bothered, that's a different problem entirely. You should be bothered. If you don't care, that's a problem. Because it's huge. It's absolute, everything hangs on it. There's a little sneak preview into the so what. But is he God? Is Jesus God? It's very, uh, very difficult. In fact, I would say it's impossible for Jesus to occupy a middle ground between nutter and villain there and God there. If you place Jesus anywhere in between, you'll find that it's utterly impossible to do. You might say, well, I think he's a good man or great teacher or a prophet, or even an angel. And while I would agree with some of those things, I would say if he's just that, he's not that. If he's just a good man, he's not a good man. If he's just a teacher, he's not a teacher. If he's just a prophet, maybe you're here from an Islamic background. So you think he's a prophet. If he's just a prophet, he's not that. I'll show you why in a moment. Maybe you're here from a Jehovah's Witness or another a background like that, which is kind of presents as Christian but doesn't believe in the deity of Christ. If he is an angel, okay, he can't be. He can't be. I'll show you why in just a moment. There is no place he occupies in that middle gap. He's either a deceiver or he's God. Let me show you. He forgave sins, he received worship. He said people should honour him as they honoured the Father. If he's not Yahweh, all of that is very, very wrong. <laughs> that's bad. That's, that's, that's like what you don't do. That if you want to be faithful to, to the God of the Bible, to, you don't do that. Okay? If, you're, if you're coming across as one who worships the God of the, of, of, of the Bible, the, the God of the Jewish Hebrew uh, Bible, the God, of, the God of Genesis through to Malachi. If you're saying you worship that God and at the same time you're, you're receiving worship from people, you're not stopping them worship you, unless you are that God, you are way out of line with that religion. Like you are committing utter blasphemy. You're completely at odds with the thing that you are saying you are believing. The apostles in their letters while always differentiating between the Father and the Son as distinct persons, as Jesus himself did, nevertheless, they spoke of him in these words. They, they described him as being in very nature God, the first and the last, 
the creator and sustainer of all things, the Lord over all, the one to whom every knee will bow, the one whose years never come to an end, and the one whom the Father himself calls upon the angels to worship. What? He is the one whom the Father calls upon the angels to worship. Hebrews chapter 1. The Father said to the angels, all, all God's angels should worship him. It's a completely outrageous thing that the New Testament teaches about the person of Jesus. All of these things that I've quoted from, from the New Testament were written by monotheistic Jews who held the one God in such reverence they wouldn't mention his name. It's extraordinary. So while Jesus embraced the limitations, human limitations of time and space, he couldn't not remain whom he had been from eternity. And so the theologians describe it as one person with two natures. One person with a human nature and with a divine nature. You have a, a, a genuine, completely human nature and a fully divine nature in one person. And so much of the theologians' debates are around how you hold that together because if you, if you, if you go certain places or you've compromised one of the natures. It's an it's a utter, unfathomable mystery, but it is who the Jesus Christ of the Bible is revealed to be. There are instances in the New Testament where he is explicitly described as God. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. John 20, verse 28, Thomas, doubting Thomas, bows down and says, My Lord and my God. And Jesus commends him for his faith. In, in Romans 9, verse 5, Paul talks about Jesus as God overall. So it does happen. But what you will find is usually in the New Testament, the distinction between the Father and the Son is maintained in a way that preserves both of their deity by referring to the Father as God and Jesus as Lord. So normally in the New Testament, as you read through, it talks about God, it's normally talking about the Father. And when it's talking about the Lord, it's normally talking about the Son. But there's this constant nuance and tension to maintain the distinctives of personhood with the sharing of deity and divinity. So the Father's not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father is God. The Son is God. There is one God. I'll say that again. But now we'll add the Holy Spirit in. Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father, the Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, the Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, there is one God. That's the Trinity. It's Trinitarian belief. Bible teaching. Now that word one, just to say, it's not actually as much of a problem as it sounds. The Shema. Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. This is the foundation, if you like, of their monotheism. But that word there that is used for one is a compound word. A compound word means that it's referring to one thing, but with numbers of elements within it. Which is why, for example, in Genesis 2, when Adam and Eve come together and they become one flesh, exactly the same word is used. Okay? They're described as one flesh in that moment. Are they one? Well, yes and no. There's a plurality, there's a, there's a unity. Okay, exactly the same word used. So it doesn't undermine monotheism. This is true, revealed monotheism. Different persons within the one God, the one deity. Enjoying the theology? Hope so. <laughs> Hope so. Hope you're convinced. 
Happy to answer any questions on this in more depth if you'd like to just dig around. Say, what about this verse? What about that verse? A friend of mine said this. We can, we can go there. Please come and I love those sorts of conversations. So please, no questions too silly on that sort of stuff, okay? I get a lot of time to read and think about these things. So I just sometimes I have a slight head start on, on some of this stuff than, than some of you will with very busy jobs doing other things. So, so what? So what? Okay. We're going to look at some stuff here. Some people will say that the content of what you believe doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere. Okay, So as long as you really believe it, as long as you're really sincere, then it doesn't, let's not get too uptight about content. Let's look at three things about that, just three responses to that. Number one, beware postmodern thought which says that there is no big story and there's no absolute truth. Okay, that is so much a part of our world now, isn't it? Our kind of Western world. That's so much a part of how people think now that it can really seep into our thinking. We can lose confidence in, in the absolute truth, the, the inerrancy of Scripture. We can hear Christians disagreeing about so many things. You think, oh, God, why don't we do, just all just get on? And don't worry so much about, about what we believe. Now, let me just say, Christian unity is really important. And it's that you cannot have Christian maturity without Christian unity. Okay? But neither can you have it without Christian truth. You need the both together, which means that theological rigor is essential. And the two things that should probably, well, there should be a load of things that mark us out as a church, but perhaps two things that don't always come together in, in churches is that we pursue the gifts and the reality and the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit with all of our hearts. Hoping for an amen, didn't come. We, 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 believe in, we believe in miracles. We believe in prophecy. We believe in signs and wonders. We believe in hearing the voice of God. We believe in experiencing and encountering the presence of God. We be- <laughs> I love those spontaneous amens. We, we believe in emotionally engaging with God, not just having a cerebral relationship. It's not just propositional truths. It's, it's a relationship with God where our emotions are engaged, where we feel, he, know his love poured out in our heart by his spirit, where we feel gratitude, where we, where we love him, where we know his love for us, where his joy breaks into our lives, where we growingly carry his burdens and weep with the things that make him weep. It's a, a live relationship in the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we also really believe in theological rigor. At the same time, we want to preach the Bible, teach the Bible, exegete scripture, unpack it, be true to it, be faithful to what God has said. Okay, Not just motivational talks, not just put a scripture in that, that, that serves the purpose of what we want to say. No, what is the scripture saying? Let's teach it. Okay? We want to hold those two things together with all of our hearts because then you can pursue all of that exciting stuff in the Holy Spirit because you're kept grounded in the Word and you can really, really enjoy the Bible because you're expecting to meet with God in it. That's spiritual health. That's the kind of Christianity we see in the Bible. And so we try to model ourselves on that. Beware postmodern thought which seeps in and says you can't really find the truth here. And so on everything you end up saying... Agree to disagree, agree to disagree, agree to disagree. There comes a point where there's no longer any uh, sacred truth that is holding us together. Just beware that way of thinking. It's my first response to, doesn't, it isn't really just about us being sincere. The second thing is this, is that, and follow me, it's a little bit conceptual, but faith isn't this thing which you kind of generate in a sincere heart. And God goes, 
Hey, sincere faith, I love that, you're in. That's not how it works. Faith is a gift from faith in Christ is a gift given to us from God by his grace. We are enabled to put our trust in faith in Jesus Christ through the work of the Father by his spirit. The whole thing is a gift from God. So it's not just so, and, and faith that comes from God is faith in the true Jesus Christ. It's not just this kind of nebulous thing, you know, we're gonna just I've got this thing, it's faith. It's not a thing, it's something that it is a gift from God to us. Meaning that the way it works isn't, oh but God, you know, I was sincere in my faith, therefore it let me into heaven. That's not how it works. How it how it works is the grace of God moves towards us and reveals the true Christ to us by the Holy Spirit and makes us alive to him and quickens faith in our heart so that we can repent of our sins and reach out to Jesus. Amen. So, we do, so for instance, no, there's something much more concrete and powerful than that going on. And the third thing to say is this. As one example, it wasn't the whole nation, but it, it might as well have been. Around the nine, late 1930s, a whole nation began to sincerely believe that all Jews should be exterminated. Very sincere. Okay? Not okay. Why not? The content of the belief was utterly horrific. Look what it led to. So you have to, you can, that is, it's a hollow thing to, as long as you're sincere. There's such a hollowness to that. Yeah, that's, that's a shallow way. You have to get way beyond that. And it's so important that we think through the content of our beliefs. And here's why. Because the content of what you believe will shape your whole ideology. Your understanding of how life works. That will shape your values. And then your values will educate your conscience. Which then enables you internally to do certain things that other people look on and go, how can you do that? Eight years ago, when we watched balaclavered ISIS members beheading NGO workers on our television screens, you think, how on earth can they do that? It started with a belief which built an ideology, which led to a value system, which educated their conscience to say it's okay and good to do this. Okay? They were operating. They were operating in that moment. Their conscience was probably fine with what they were doing. Why? Because the conscience is a very, very delicate instrument. And you can educate your conscience. Your, your conscience is educated by what, what you genuinely believe to be right and to be wrong. Well, what is that shaped by? Well, it has to be shaped by something. If it's not shaped by scripture, it's going to be shaped by any number of other voices. And you become a different person. You, become, you, you turn into something. Yeah? This is, I can do this now. I can do it far easier. It didn't bother me. Looking around, what happened to you? There was an ideology that was embraced and built. and it, 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 it's, This is real stuff. This is real The content of what you believe shapes who you become. It's a massively big, big deal. You might say, but Steph, you're using such extreme examples. And I am. You might say, what about just kind of harmless, nice Harmless beliefs, but you know, it's not about Jesus being God. Let's think about the Jehovah's Witnesses. Some of the nicest and most sincere people I've ever met. Okay? And I'm not shooting down any people in, in, in that sect, cult, whatever it is. I'm not shooting them down on a personal level now, but I'm talking about the, the ideology, the idea, the belief system. Salvation requires extraordinary power 
to be pulled out of the kingdom of darkness requires extraordinary power in the life of the soul. Okay? You can't reform and educate and reason someone out of the kingdom of darkness. There's not enough power. Those things aren't wrong, but only the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit can pull you out of the kingdom of darkness. It's a spiritual thing. And while so many of the Jehovah's Witnesses have really good and really sincere hearts, and I, you know, I've used to work with one wonderful man, would sit down and would, you know, have these debates, these lovely, lovely man, nicer man than me. <laughs> you know, just, you know, say, wow, yeah, I, I, you're a lovely guy. And you really are earnest in your belief here. As you talk and as you listen, what you, re- what you realize is it's, it's essentially, uh, it's a moral framework rooted in some spiritual ideas to make people live better lives. Okay. I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying that no one in, in the Joseph Witnesses have been born again. Maybe someone got born again by the power of the Holy Spirit and then the next person they met was a Jehovah's Witness and they got invited in and that's all they've ever known. Okay. So I'm not making judgments on individuals, but as a belief system, it completely denies the power of the gospel. Completely denies the power of the gospel that we believe in. It won't work. They do not, because they do not believe in the deity, the divinity of Christ, they believe he's the archangel Michael. They don't believe he's, he, that he is Yahweh, that he is Jehovah. Then he, couldn't, he could not, on the cross, accomplishment, accomplish atonement for our sins. How, how can the blood of an angel, whatever that even is, how can the blood of an angel atone for the sins of mankind? Only a man can deal with the sins of, 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 of mankind. Only a human can deal with the sins of humanity. And because of the extraordinary nature of the debt, only eternal, the eternal worthy blood of the God-man can deal with sin. It's a completely alien concept that an angel could accomplish salvation. A created being could accomplish salvation for God's purposes. All throughout scripture, who is the saviour? God. And so it's God who saves. Now, here's the thing. What you will find is, is that most um, cults and sects that grow up, they will, be, uh, they will grow weird because they either deny the divinity of Jesus or the humanity of Jesus. Okay. Because, again, it shapes your ideology. So if you deny the humanity of Jesus, then what you tend to get is kind of odd people. All right? Because there's this, at the bottom of it all is, there's something wrong with humanity. There's something wrong with matter. And so people either, they either treat their body harshly in those groups, or they do what, they're totally licentious with their body because it's got nothing to do with my spirit. Um, or they just, you know, you're at a party or a wedding or something and they're off in a corner. All they ever do is sing or sing hymns. You know, they won't do anything normal, for goodness sake. Yeah, why? Because at the bottom of the ideology, there's something wrong with just being a human, doing normal stuff. It creates a certain kind of thing, okay? Because they're, they're not worshipping the true Jesus. You deny the divinity of Jesus, you just end up with cerebral, just kind of reasoning. There's no power of God, there's no power, no life in the spirit, no, no, no true gospel salvation power, forgiveness. It just doesn't 
happen. Why? Because the Jesus that you're putting your trust in, it's a complete, it's a, such a low, such a low Jesus compared to who the Jesus is. I'm, I'm going to use an illustration and I armed and I hard and I thought to myself, is this blasphemous? Is this? I, I, but I think, no, I think, get my heart in this. I'm really not trying to be blasphemous here. I'm just trying to make something concrete so we can actually understand why it's so important how your relationship with Jesus, if he is God, is completely different if he's, than anything else. Right? So follow me here. Let's all of us for a moment imagine we're married. Okay? Some of us are, many of us aren't. But just for a moment imagine that you're married. You've been married two years, imagine. You've been married two years, you discover your spouse is an angel. Now I'm sure they were your angel the whole time, right? <laughs> I know that. But literally you discover that they were... Just stop for a moment. You just, it's weird, it's cranky, I know, but you literally discover they're an angel. Like, that's pretty weird, right? Are, are we, yeah, agreed? You're freaked out, agreed? This is unusual. This is different, right? Yeah? Two years later, you discover they're God. The creator and sustainer of all things. I know it's, I know it's, I know it's, if you think, this is good, good, because you're getting it, okay? Jesus being an angel, that's pretty impressive, that's pretty powerful. Jesus being God is a total game changer. It's a complete, the way you would relate to him as an angel is completely different from the way you would relate to him as God. It's a completely different thing. Which is why it really matters. I remember, I remember there have been people that have wanted to be baptized, but they're stuck on the deity of Christ. I can't believe it, but I really want to. I, really want to, I love the Bible. I love doing Bible studies. I love this church. We were saying, well, we will not baptize you. We will not baptize you. You cannot, because until, until you, the Holy Spirit leads you to Jesus, Jesus is God. Right? So if you're saying, well, Jesus isn't God, then the Holy Spirit hasn't led you there. And even on an anecdotal level, you will find those people, there is no life in the Spirit. There's ideas and thoughts and things they admire about Jesus. There's no life in the Spirit. It's not there. You feel it. You know it. Because the Holy Spirit leads you to Jesus. And this is who Jesus is. And it's so important that we, that we, that we carry compassion for the individuals, always. But that we carry conviction for what is true and what isn't. Because if you lose your conviction, you end up not serving the individuals. That's what happens. You don't end up loving them well. Because you don't, you don't help bring them into the truth. Which, What does Jesus say? The truth. You see? That's why it's such a big deal. And maybe you're in there and you're thinking, I'm not sure I've ever actually been converted. I've ever actually given my life to Christ. What I'm not going to say is, of course you have. That might not be serving you. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't. But the beauty of the gospel is this. You can now. There is nothing stopping you from putting your faith in Christ, giving him your whole life, your whole heart, and knowing what it is to be born again and experiencing true freedom from the power of sin. So it's good news. But you know, we've, got to be, we've got to be honest. We've got to be honest with one another. Just because someone says Jesus doesn't mean it's Jesus. What did Jesus say? Many will come in my name. Many will come in my name. If Jesus isn't God, we're not saved because how on earth 
Can the life of an angel serve as a ransom for the sins of the world? Can't. Jesus isn't God. We're not saved because we're told that God is a saviour. But instead, someone's come who isn't, so we better just carry on waiting. Jesus isn't God. We shouldn't be seeking a relationship or fellowship with him. Jesus isn't God. Don't go talking to him. You're developing a friendship with an angel. Uh-uh. We are never... We, we, we are never encouraged to do such things. If Jesus isn't God, we might as well stop saying things like, to live is Christ. That's idolatry. You're living for something created. You see, the whole thing hangs on the divinity of Christ. If Jesus is God, we serve an eternal creator who voluntarily took on human nature. No one has ever done that. I don't know about you, I just got born. I just turned up here. And I've tried to figure it out ever since. Here is one who chose to be born. Phenomenal. Into a fallen world. The creator chose to be born into a fallen world. Who came to earth with an awareness of his life before being human. We have the judge willingly taking on the place of the judged. How about that? We have the creator voluntarily entering into death. We have debts paid. We have sins forgiven. We have a clear and perfect living example of exactly what God is like because Jesus is God. Folks, this is good news. This is the gospel. Amen.